There is a sharp distinction between sales tax, economic nexus, and income tax, economic nexus. You are listening to US Tax, a podcast for Australian accountants with US clients. Update 29 of US Tax. This is Heide Robson. This update today is a first wrap up about state taxes, filling the remaining gaps and clearing up most hopefully most misunderstandings. Here's Edwin Entelin of Alejo Entelin Agaval Kenta, or in short, WAC, in Walnut Creek, California. These income thresholds for the economic nexus you gave us in the last episode for sales, for payroll, That was only for corporate members, correct? For corporate entities. That is not for individual entities, correct? That is correct. So if you are an individual and you sell $100 worth of shoes to a customer in California, you do not get the protection of the economic nexus rules. And the reason for that is California has two parts to its income tax code. One part is the corporate slash franchise tax code. And the other is the personal income tax code. And that doing business test with the economic nexus rules only applies in the corporation franchise slash income tax code. Different rules apply in the income tax, personal income tax code. And the simple rule is if you're a non-resident and you have income from a California source, then you're taxable. So the physical presence applies to both companies and individuals in the same way, but the economic nexus applies very differently. For individuals, your economic nexus basically starts at 0.01, basically at one cent of Californian sourced income, whereas for companies, the economic nexus only starts when you exceed the thresholds, I think 637,000 for sales, 63,000 for payroll and property and 25% of anything. So companies have a much higher threshold than individuals. Yes, that is correct. It's an anomaly, I think, but it's true. And just to reiterate, I know I already said this, the generous economic nexus for companies in California only applies if you don't have inventory in California. If you have just one piece of inventory in California, then you have a physical presence and then the economic nexus is out of the window for you because you have physical presence, correct? Yeah, now that you say it, I think... One, 86.272 would not apply if you have inventory in California. Two, the definition of doing business in California includes the economic nexus rules, but it also includes another provision that says if you engage in any act for pecuniary gain, then you are deemed to be doing business. And so your question about you know having just a modest amount of inventory in California raises an interesting question in my mind. On the one hand, you could have the economic nexus rules say you can have up to $67,000 of property in California. So that could include inventory. And if you are under that level, then you do not have nexus. You're not doing business in California. But on the other hand, the doing business definition also says any activity in California for pecuniary gain. I think that those two rules, I've thought that those two rules are independent. So if you have one or the other, you would have nexus, you would be doing business in California. I continue to think that's right, but I suppose someone could say 
if I have under $67,000 of inventory in California, I am not doing business. Someone could make that argument. I think it would be a bit hard, but it's a possibility, I suppose. That's a very good point. So even though inventory triggers physical presence, because you have this threshold under the economic nexus that you can have tangible property of up to 63,000 and still not trigger an economic nexus, then it shouldn't trigger an, a physical nexus either. Yes, that's that's the issue. That's a very good point because otherwise the threshold for tangible property is completely irrelevant because then you would immediately trigger a physical presence with $1 of tangible property and then this threshold of $63,000 of property would be irrelevant. I think it could, although I could think of examples. So the language of the definition of the doing business statute is any activity in California for pecuniary gain or profit. You could imagine a scenario where a corporation owns property, but it's not for profit. It could just be, you know, for some reason it received the property, but it's not actually a part of its business. It could be, you know, bare land or something that somehow it owns. In that scenario, it has a physical presence, but it is not engaging in an activity for pecuniary gain and profit. And if that property is worth less than $67,000, then you do not have economic nexus either. And maybe that's how you kind of reconcile those two rules. But anytime that you would have property related to the business, like inventory, I think you would have, you would have nexus and be considered to be doing business. Let's say you have $60,000 of inventory. And so the economic thresholds protect you if you're a company, because otherwise, I think the threshold is 63 or 67,000. So if you have $60,000 of inventory, the economic threshold is still okay, you haven't passed that one. Would you then trigger a physical presence? I think so, because that inventory would be viewed as an activity for pecuniary gain or profit. Tangible, real or personal property, that doesn't apply to inventory because inventory would immediately trigger physical presence. So it's more something like vacant land you just suggested. I think so. I think so. I mean, mm -hmm. I've not really ever seen in my practice a situation where someone was trying to navigate these two rules. But as we talk about it, I think that if the property is used in the business, I think there would be a good argument by the FTB to be made that you are doing business under the pecuniary gain or profit definition of doing business. Yes. And example eight in the TEM also suggests that, you know, because there they say if you have just a little bit of inventory in California or even the possibility of having inventory in California, then you are not protected anymore. And hence, I would think that the um, economic threshold doesn't apply either. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's I think that's right. So if you hold your inventory in Nevada, for example, and you sell into California, even if your sales exceed $637,000, PL 86272 will still protect you as long as you don't run into any of those examples one to nine that we went through for the um, technical advice memorandum we went through. I think that's correct. They're kind of technical apportionment rules. So throwback rule and the throw out rule really only come into play when you're trying to figure out the apportionment. You know, how much is then the numerator of the sales factor? Then it goes into the California numerator. If it's thrown out, 
then it's thrown out of the numerator and the denominator. And that happens. There's a special rule that says if you have a very unusual, significant event, like you sell a division for 10 times your normal revenue, those proceeds will be thrown out of both the numerator and the denominator of the sales factor under a special California regulation. Why is franchise tax called franchise tax? Yeah, technically, the corporation tax on income in California is called the corporate franchise tax, not income tax. And I think it's kind of goes back to the basis for the tax, which is for the privilege of doing business or exercising your corporate franchise in California. I probably struggle with this term because I'm not 100% sure what franchise actually means. I mean, I know what franchising is, but I don't actually know what franchise means in the um, core meaning of the word. Yes, I think as I understand it, it is the exercise of the privilege of doing business as a corporation in California. So exercising the corporate franchise. So for the privilege of engaging in business or doing business in California, California imposes this corporate franchise tax. It's probably best not to get too hung up on the exact term. In reality, it is a corporate income tax based on net income in California. Yes. And so any company that has some nexus to California, be it through a physical presence or be it through an economic nexus, any company has to pay the franchise tax. Do the thresholds for companies apply? Do the thresholds in the economic nexus apply to the franchise tax? So if you don't establish an economic nexus thanks to the thresholds, then you also are not up for franchise tax, correct? That is correct. So in substance, it's an income tax on corporations in California. We just call it a franchise tax, but it's one in the same. So all of these economic nexus rules and apportionment and all of that, it all applies within the context of the technical name, the corporate franchise tax. And the same for the LLC fee, correct? The LLC fee only applies if you pass the economic nexus thresholds or if you have a physical presence. That is correct. And although you treat the franchise tax and the LLC fee all as income tax, I think for a double tax agreement, they're not treated as an income tax because they're not a percentage applied to a net income. They are just a flat fee based on certain income brackets. Do you agree? For the LLC fee, I agree. The corporate franchise tax is really an income-based tax and it's the tax is a percentage of the income, um, just like a regular federal income tax. Oh, I see. So only for the LLC, it's a flat $800. But for everybody else, it's a percentage applied to net income? Yes. Yeah, so let me clarify. So on the one hand, you have corporations. They're taxed on their net income. And they also have an $800 minimum tax, which is hardly relevant. And then for LLCs, they are not taxed on net income. They are taxed on these flat brackets based on the level of total income that they have from California. So that is much less like an, an, an income-based tax. It is somewhat connected to income tax, but not, not in a way that the income tax is. So the LLC pays a flat fee, and that wouldn't qualify as an income tax in Australia. But the corporations, even though the tax is a minimum of $800, it is actually a percentage applied to the income, to the net income. It is. I have this 8.84% in my head as a corporate income tax. Would that include the franchise tax? The corporation income tax and franchise tax, it's the same thing. 8.84%. So that is the franchise tax. Yes. So the franchise tax is 8.84%. 4%. It's just that for LLCs, because they are actually not taxed on the income, the income is pushed down to their members. The LLC pays a flat fee, but 
Otherwise, for everybody else, the franchise tax is 8.84%. Yes, yes. And not to overly complicate, there is technically a California corporation income tax, but it very rarely is imposed. It's a situation where a company is not doing business in California, but has income from California sources, which is kind of hard to imagine. I've really rarely ever seen it come into play. So high level, the corporation franchise tax is really just the income tax. It's all one and the same. So then, of course, I take back what I said before, because then, of course, you would get a foreign income tax offset in Australia for the franchise tax a company pays in California. Yes, 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 you should. And then in addition, you have the LLC fee, but that is really just a fee that is not part of the income tax, correct? That's right. I guess, like you mentioned, it's a flat fee for certain income brackets. And the top fee is $11,790 in California. It doesn't really look like a normal income tax where it's based on the percentage of your income. It's here. It's if your income falls into certain brackets, then you pay this flat fee and then it just goes up. Can I just quickly ask you something about Nevada? I know you're based in California, but can I just quickly ask you something? So Nevada doesn't have a corporate income tax and it doesn't have an individual income tax. And their gross receipts tax only kicks in from $4 million onwards. So how does Nevada finance itself? Or do they have such big companies that enough companies pass the $4 million and hence pay enough gross receipts to finance the state? Yeah, that's a good question. My guess is they do not rely on this new commerce tax to finance the state. It's relatively new. I'm just guessing here, but my speculation is that they probably derive quite a bit of taxes from their entertainment industry, from the hotel taxes, casino taxes, and all of that probably generate most of their revenue in addition to property taxes and things like that in Nevada. But I do agree with you. It's uh, The commerce tax in Nevada is based on gross revenue, not on net income. It kicks in at a pretty high level of gross revenue sourced to Nevada. So do you see a lot of e-commerce businesses store their inventory in Nevada and then just selling into the rest of the US? Not in my experience. My experience with e-commerce businesses is they tend to be all over the place because they kind of start small and then they grow kind of organically from wherever they're located. But to your point, I think Nevada would be a favorable location if you are considering coming into the United States and establishing a distribution center. I think it would be very favorable because of the lack of income tax, the modest commerce tax. So I think it would be a good location. Do you know what the commerce tax rate is? Is it graduated rates or is it just a flat fee? The rates are based on the category for the business. So construction is 0.083 Manufacturing is 0.091%, wholesale trade 0.101%, and retail trade 0.111%. I think there may be other categories as well. So it, it does seem similar to me to, for example, Washington has a similar tax on, it's called the Washington Business and Occupations Tax, and they just have different categories of businesses with different tax rates. And now I just have two last questions for you. The first one is the uh, economic nexus. And these two questions are about the entire states, about all state taxes together. All states seem to have an economic nexus for sales tax, but only a few for income tax. 
So the ones that have an economic nexus are California, Texas, Tennessee, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania and New York. Only these, let me just quickly count them, one, two, three, four, five, six, only six states have an economic nexus. The rest basically then, I assume, just rely on physical nexus. And that really surprised me. It is. There is a sharp distinction between sales tax, economic nexus and income tax economic nexus. So for sales tax, all have an economic nexus apart from Missouri. Yes, that does not surprise me at all. It's really just a question of the income tax economic nexus. So this publication says there are seven states that have economic nexus for income. So that is roughly in line with what I have been reading. So that basically means very few states have an economic nexus for income tax. And that really surprised me. It does surprise me too, now that I'm seeing it, because I know from the history that the states were very successful and aggressive in pushing economic nexus for income tax purposes. And in looking at this list of states, states that currently have economic nexus for income tax purposes, and it does not include some of the states that I know were successful in litigating. Um, so it is surprising mm. to me. So then my last question is just a very quick one. And that says, apparently, Nevada and Texas are the only states that don't have an information sharing arrangement with the IIS. And that surprised me that a it would be possible not to have an information sharing arrangement with the IIS. And then Why is it only those two states? Or I was just going to say, I don't know why Nevada and Texas are alone in not having information sharing agreements with the IRS. I think it would be to their advantage to have that because I know in California, the way that information sharing works is it's generally one way. It is from the IRS to California. So if the IRS audits a California resident and determines that there is underpayment of tax, That information then will be shared with California so that then California can make an assessment for California income tax purposes. And so California benefits from that information sharing. I don't know why those two states have chosen not to participate. It may be that they don't actually have income taxes on individuals, and so it may not be as important or helpful to them. It might be that, for example, Nevada with gambling in Las Vegas uses it as a, I don't know, as a marketing tool to say, you know, you're safe here. We won't tell anybody what you're doing here. Possibly, but I think they have, casinos have their own obligations to report through the Form 1099 reporting to report that to the IRS anyway, when they make payments to anyone, really, any individuals. It's, it's curious. I know, I'm not sure why, but... Mm -hmm. Welcome back. So this was the last update of our mini-series with Ed Enterlin about California state taxes. In the following updates, we will look at other state taxes. Most likely Florida is next and then other states. But which state exactly we'll cover next week is not 100% certain yet. Until then, thank you for listening. Bye for now and see you in the next update. <music>